Right, Luke Murray, Irish physio. How are you today? Good. How are things? Grand now. Just coming up to the old uh, Christmas season here. So uh, you're back. You're back from. Um, you're studying in Limerick at the moment, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back from I was back from England last year. Came back August twenty twenty one, and then straight into medicine. Then August August of twenty twenty one, and now in second year. So just finished up the Christmas exams last week. Back in Galiev for the week. <laughs> Take it easy. Bolly Liam. Um, yeah. So. You've given a very, very uh, a quick overview of you know your career to date, but for the people out there listening in, um, give a bit of background to to yourself. Okay, um, where are we go? So, I suppose I'm a physio anyway, as you got from the the handle. I uh, studied in. I suppose I did sports science first. Did sports science in Limerick first. Wasn't smart enough to get into physio initially, <laughs> so I had to go the other route. So I did sports science in Limerick, University of Limerick. Then I, uh, as part of that, I suppose I was lucky enough to go down to New Zealand and work with uh, Chief Super Rugby down there, which was class as like a strength and conditioning intern for whatever, seven, eight months or so. And then after that, then came back to my final year and then went over to Brighton and did my master's in physio after that. And then uh, when I was in Brighton, I was lucky enough to get in with London Irish um, for six week placement as like physio uh, student intern, we'll say. Uh, so I was working with their first team, which was really nice. Um, and then after that, I started working in the NHS once I qualified, moved up to London, worked there from 2018 till 2021 and worked with Arsenal Football um, Club, obviously working with their academy for a couple of years and uh, stayed on with London Irish, then working with their academy too. Mm-hmm. And now back studying medicine, going for the full 10 years in college. Good man, <laughs> well, um, that's brilliant. I mean, you've given, you've given her a, a very qu- a brief um, overview of your kind of career to date and we'll, we'll drill into each one of those. But... I suppose taking it back to um your first your first uh, piece of education uh, after your leaving cert being uh, sports science what um what drew you to that uh to sports science I think I think I was always going to use it to get me into physio my plan was always physio right because when I was whatever 13 14 playing Gaelic football and the likes hurt me back in a game and I struggled to recover from it and I went to a load of physios that were not great had great intentions but didn't helped me in any in any real way so then when I was 13 or 14 I was down in Limerick playing in the Kennedy Cup which is like a scouting tournament Football, for young soccer, lads yeah. yeah soccer and uh, when I was down there I was like this place is unbelievable I'd never seen a campus like it and I was like well I'm not going to get physio straight away because I'm not that smart so I'll get a sports science and then I'll I'll do physio from there um, so that's what sort of got me into it it was always I would never have got into sports science if it wasn't for the injuries mm. so the, the that's the, the the positive outlook of or the positive outcome of and uh, getting injured as a young fellow was it it sort of um geared me up to work in healthcare i suppose and when that um i remember the injury happening to you and it was uh, it, it, what was it? it was a, it was like a, a person's name it was called what was it again that injury you had in your back was, mm. it, was there a name for it you're thinking of the knees i'd say oh Osgo's, sorry i had osgo slatters in the knee oh, right okay uh yeah that, that was a common enough one a lot of lads have that um no, I, I literally just, I don't know what happened to me. I oh. uh, still don't know what happened. But I, def- I hurt me back playing against, I played against Ballon Slow. I think it was under 14's game. And I went up to catch the ball, uh, caught the ball. Uh, and then as I landed, I was extending backwards. So leaning backwards and then twisted at the same time. And uh, felt like a clunk in my back. And I was like, oh Christ, that is painful. And then the, I remember for a few weeks afterwards, I was like, couldn't, like coughing was sore. Yeah. Uh, that'd, that'd be typical of like a disc injury. Um, if somebody's coughing and sneezing and stuff like that you increase the pressure in the stomach that causes pressure on the disc mm-hmm. and that can cause the pain and I was having symptoms like that um, but I just didn't fully rec- never fully recovered from it as a teenager and I was going to loads of different physios and they were all giving me different explanations for for the same problem do you know Right. You know, I, I, I could have went to like 10 different physios got 10 different explanations went to a chiropractor went 25 times Jesus um, which like you know it's not cheap either and she was giving me all sorts of nonsense diagnoses of, oh, your hips are misaligned and your pelvis is out of place. So I, yeah. was, I remember looking in the mirror going, gee, she's right. I can actually see there a bit of an imbalance between my left and my right side. So I better go back and get that readjusted right. so that she can Make perfect it. the posture. So then I'll be able to perform on the pitch. And now where I am, obviously, with the studying and stuff like that, I know that all oh, that's absolute rubbish. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Did, you, did you know when you went to those different physios and you said how like, of varying degrees of quality, mostly poor quality. Um, did you 
did you know did you only know that they were weren't of a very good standard now or did you know or at that age do you still were you spotting how people are giving you different stories and different like yeah that's actually a really good question because i at the time i w- wasn't buying into an awful lot of it uh, i was very um I, I just didn't trust any of them to be right. honest but i was i was filled with uh hope that one of them might be able to help me and i didn't really care about their explanations i just wanted to be able to play so i was like don't fully understand what you're telling me. I don't fully buy into what you're telling me. Mm. You're giving me something. Why should I trust you over the last person? Right. Um, why should I believe in your ability to help me? Um, so I didn't really fully buy into any of their explanations at the time, but I still went with it because I was at a loose end where I was like, well, if they can't help me, I'm screwed. So yeah. who else do I go to? Yeah. Uh, didn't, definitely didn't buy into the, the Cairo, but, when she, but she, she was very convincing in terms of the, um, the x-rays that she showed me of my pelvis and stuff like that. And, she painted an interesting picture, but again, I, I, I wasn't, dad being a GP would have been, uh, he would have told me to be careful in terms mm-hmm. of what they tell you. Yeah. Um, now that's unfair on, because not all chiropractors are like that, but, but some of the old school ones might be like that. So I didn't fully buy into it, but she was very convincing. And it was, there was only one physio that helped me and that was above in Dublin. A really good clinic there in Dublin city that I, I was sent to from a rheumatologist. Um, that was unreal. So good. Really, really good. Was, Just, that, was that a place where um, the Irish uh, female runner yeah, Dervil O'Rourke would have been in there doing yeah. like personal training and stuff like that. Um, a lot of a lot of big athletes were in there at the time. Um, what's his name? The magician, Keith Barry. Jesus, right? Okay. He was in there trying to lose a bit of timber because <laughs> uh, they had like different right. levels. There yeah. was like a personal training level, and there was like a physio level, and uh, they had it was a really cool setup. And um, they were the lads that really had me. They were class. They just got me. There was just no bullshit. It was just like, yeah. okay, this is what we think is wrong, but we're not too sure. Doesn't really matter if we don't know what's wrong because we can treat you and, and get you back to a certain level. And they were the ones that got me at least back moving and back exercising so that I could uh, work on at least my own physical and mental health that way. Um, but that's also what got me interested in physio because I was like, I remember chatting to, the, chatting to your man that was looking after me and I was like, so this is this is your job. Like you do this exercise stuff right. with patients all yeah. day. And he was like, yeah. So I could be here from about 7 a.m. I'm just on the gym floor here all day, and I was like, "This is unreal." Yeah, this is the type of job that would suit me. Like, because you growing up, like you played, um, you played soccer for Glen Celtic, mm. football for uh, Williamstown, um, bit of handball, bit of handball for Williamstown. Mm. Say, um, but was it more? Um, now you stopped playing team sports at what age? I'd say I stopped properly about seventeen. Right, seventeen, eighteen. And has it been the injuries that kind of stopped you, or you've? Or was it more the, the health and fitness from kind of like working out in the gym has kind of been your kind of calling to sport or individual? Um, or do, I, you, do you miss the team sport? Yeah, I miss it definitely. Yeah, 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 definitely. N- not so much the team sport, just miss the competitive stuff. Right. That's the thing that I'd miss the most. Um, no, there's nothing stopping me from doing it at the moment. It's just a, a case of time, really. The gym suits my schedule and that I can do it in the morning time. Yeah. And then I can work and study for the rest of the day. But if I had the extra time, I'd definitely be doing some sort of sport. And that, that would be the plan for the new year is, is look for something that I can do that fits my schedule. But I definitely would. You'd miss the, you'd miss the Gaelic football. You'd miss the crack. You'd miss that competitive edge. Uh, but it would have been the injuries that stopped me for sure. If I had my time back and I didn't get injured, I'd have 100% kept playing. Yeah, so know? if uh, poor Joyce is listening today, like, you know, next summer, you know, Luke might be back on full back line, plugging, plugging a few holes. They'd be badly stuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so then you went on to, you said, you mentioned talking about UL, uh, you did your sports, your sports uh, science degree. Throw a question out to you, see if you, your memory. Do you remember, you thought you didn't get in? <laughs> Fuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, background on that, I was, this would have been summer 2011, and uh, I was at a festival, not a f- yeah, I suppose it would be a summer festival, wouldn't it? Kiltevna Summer Festival. 20- in the Blue Cuckoo. In the Blue Cuckoo, yeah. Uh, Kiltevna being a small, tiny little place between Williamstown and Dunmore. And we were at that, we were at that festival for the weekend and uh, we had been out, so we'd been out a few days and then whatever happened, the results came out and I was still, I wasn't at home. I was over at my friend's house, uh, Ross Finnegan. Oh, you're Ross. Shout out to Ross. <laughs> in Australia listening in, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and we woke up that morning, whatever time they came out, 7am or something earlier, I can't, can't fully remember the time. But Ross checked his points first. He got in, got his offers, that is. So he got his offer and he got, yeah. he got whatever he wanted, uh, computer science, and then checked mine. And I had the offer. I had the sports science. And I was like, from the age of 13 or so, 
to whenever I was 17. That's all I was focused on was getting that offer. And it was 455 points for sports science. And I had, I had got 450. Mm. And I was like, well, why have I got offered sports science when I've got 450 points? Yeah. And of course... Um, that drove me nuts because I was like, I don't want to get something, I don't want to get offered something that I haven't gotten, that I haven't worked for. Right. I wanted to, I wanted to be on my terms. I didn't want it to be getting it offered for some a mistake that they had made. All right. So then I started, I, I went over, looked at my CEO points again, calculated all the grades, and I was like, yeah, four fifty. So I'm getting four fifty, but yet I've got offered this in this four five five. So then I emailed the university, and I was like, why? I emailed the head of sports science, and I was like, why am I getting offered this course? And he was like, can you send down your grades or whatever? And I just sent down the grades and he was like, you got more than you think. You got four, five, four, five, five, I think it was, or four, six or something yeah, like that. Yeah. You hadn't. No, sorry, sorry. I need to go back. It was four, two, five I'd calculated. Right. I was way off. Right, right, right. It was, I, I had calculated four, two, five on my points. Yeah. And he was like, no, you got four, five, five. So whatever way I was adding up my grades, I, um, I was adding them up around. Like an, like an asshole. So your maths wasn't your strength earlier? No. What did you get? Can you remember? You got, was the foundation maths you were into? That's a, a shout out there to Owen Colgan and the Hardy Books from your. We'll talk about that later on. But, uh, uh, yeah, no, I didn't do foundation in the end. Did, did pass. <laughs> did pass in the end and I got a B1 or something like Good that. Man. A B2. Oh, fair play. Um, but yeah, very embarrassing, but it was a nice feeling to actually know yeah. that you got the points required for the course. It, it was really, I mean, you're talking about the points there and all that. And um, in my head, I mean, I'm a few years older than you, like, but it seems like that, like, around your time doing the Lehman Cert, sports science, like, massive interest in it, mm. and, and the points and all that drove up. Is that still, I know it's, you're not doing your studying medicine now, but over your years of doing it, has that maintained the way, or has it increased, and do you think the, the demand in industry is, it requires that kind of level of interest, or mm. do you think is it more is it an, an interesting course to do, and you don't really think about the, the outcome of what you could be doing afterwards? I suppose, first of all, the demand has is, is gone higher again. So within the what, last 10 years, more and more people want to do sports science, mm. which is interesting because in terms of career prospects, they're fairly low. In Ireland or in, in general, general? right? Okay. In general, and less so in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, there's less opportunity for you to work. But it, it does depend on what you want to do. So let's say, let's say you're 17, you're doing the Leaving Cert, and you want to do sports science because you like sport and you like science. Um, you need to understand that your potential to work in elite sport is minimal afterwards because you have to be lucky yeah. and you're going to have to do a fair few years of slogging before you're going to get into a, an elite setting and how many you can probably count on one hand how many elite settings there is in Ireland particularly in rugby but even less so in football and, and yeah. Gaelic football and the likes so you need to accept that first of all that you realise that there, that's what's on the table for you but I suppose if you wanted if you knew that that wasn't what you wanted to do you didn't want to work in elite sport but you wanted to be a personal trainer that's a good course to do. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the demand has probably gone up because of how much increase there is in physical activity and exercise. Like we went to the gym today. If, if it was 10 years ago when we went in at this time, there probably wouldn't be as many people as were in there today. True. Lots of young lads in there. Lots Seems of like teenagers. people like also like, uh, maybe like PTs in there today as well, like giving people training and stuff. So Yeah, it's a nice mix in there. Yeah, and yeah. like that's, um, I, I know some people that have done just sports science and have made good careers for themselves just being a personal trainer. Um, so it's it's good for that side of things, but majority of the people when I was doing it in twenty eleven, weren't going down that route. Only a handful of people went into to do um personal training. Most people went on to do physio or another course, right. because they realised oh wait there is no jobs that I can get that are secure out of this. Right. So I that was never my intention. So I didn't get that shock. Oh, my intention was always to use it as a bridge course onto something else. Yeah. It's an excellent course, particularly that one in UL because it's very science based and it's also got the practical aspect to it as well. If I had my time back, I probably would still do it, I think, yeah. because of the benefits that I got in terms of exercise prescription and, and things like that from it. Um, and I made a lot of friends from it, but I wouldn't be doing it for my career. Yeah, basically. not just a uh, sports scientist. So skipping on then into, was it, uh, at what stage did you actually, in, um, in the course, then uh, manage to get your placement with Wakiso Chiefs in New Zealand? What, was that your final year? or No, that was, uh, so I would have been offered that in third year. So you, I got offered that first semester, third year. How did that? So, how did that even come about? Sorry, how did you like get that? That's an amazing opportunity. Like, and, mm. or was it? Was, was the UL so good because it had all these contacts, or how did it all work out? Yeah, that, that's one of the that's one of the reasons why UL would have been and probably still is the best in the in the country is because of their connections around the world. The um the course had such a good rep that they had connections with the head of strength and conditioning, Phil Healy, who's now with the Blues in New Zealand. Uh, he was with the Chiefs at the time, and so he was for about maybe. 
I'd say maybe 10 years or so, he was taking two students from UL every year right. to go out there and be strength and conditioning interns. So the year I went out, they actually took one, so I was lucky. But I remember I, I emailed them and I was like, look, I've got placement coming up. I know you take two students every year. I'm keen to go out there. Um, so they were like, yeah, cool, send us a CV. And then we'll set you up for an interview if we like your CV. So I sent them the CV, then interviewed over Skype. I was sitting there on a Thursday night in the shorts and the, the shirt and tie over Skype. <laughs> First interview ever on Skype. And wow. the, uh, himself, Blair Mills and another lad, Owen Tarrant, um, interviewed me over Skype and they um, emailed me then a week later to say, yeah, well, we'd be um, interested in, in getting you out here. And this was October 2013. So then I flew out uh, New Year's Eve that year, landed oh. there, New Year's Day 2014. And um, like in between your time there, you like you'd... You know, you moved to Limerick. You had um, you'd spent a, a, a summer in London as well at the time. Mm. But like going to the other side of the world, like how how daunting was it, or was it like a challenge you were looking forward to, or was it a mix of both? Uh, both, but I was more a challenge. I was looking forward to. I was I, I wasn't really intimidated by by going down there to be honest. Uh, for I don't know why I wasn't. It was probably maybe uh maybe nearly an, an immaturity, not 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 a mature thing because I was didn't really understand the. I probably didn't understand this, the magnitude of flying across the world by yourself to mm-hmm. another country mm-hmm. that you couldn't be further away from Ireland. And I probably took for granted how big a team they were and how big uh, the coaching staff were as well. Um, because I wasn't a rugby player, I probably took that for granted. If I was into rugby, I would have realised that the, I'm dealing with the equivalent of Alex Ferguson here. Wow. As the head coach, wow. um, at the Chiefs, so not uh, ignorance is bliss, you know. What were the, they were were they the super uh, super champions, super fourteen champions, the year before you went out or the year you were there or? Yeah, no. So they so they this was twenty fourteen. So twenty twelve and twenty thirteen, they were back to back super rugby champions. Wow. Uh, and then we lost in the year I was there to the Brumbies. I think it was in the quarter final, but yeah, no, I I wasn't daunted actually. If I was to do it now, I'd be daunted, which is mad. But at the time, as a nineteen, was yeah. I nineteen? Yeah. I wasn't daunted at all. And um, so like, tell us about your, um, you know, who was, who was with the Chiefs at the time, your kind of like your living arrangements, all that. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, there's a few big names there. So landed down there and they put me in a house and uh, gave me a house and a car wow. straight away. Didn't obviously didn't have to pay for any of it. So I was like, this is great. Felt like a celebrity. Felt like, felt like you were a professional athlete. You, you, I remember you told me you signed like a few autographs going into a game and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. We'll people see you wearing the Chiefs kit and then the kids come up to you asking you for an autograph. They don't know who you are. They just see you in a Chiefs kit and they're like, oh, you must be a player. Um, so yeah, you're signing, signing autographs and stuff like that. It's weird. But yeah, so they put me in a house and put me in with uh, Nathan Harris who was, he was like an up-and-coming hooker at the time. And then while I was there, he ended up being the starting hooker for the Chiefs and got picked for the All Black squad. Got a few All Blacks um, uh, caps under his belt when I was there as well. So that was cool to see him yeah, rise up. Yeah. He was, at the time, he was like the best hooker in the world when I was there because he was he was, he was, was the start of the new type of a hooker. He was fast, mm-hmm. he was heavy, he could throw well, he could scrum well. So he was the all-rounder, yep. which is common now in 2022. But at the time, that wasn't really that common from what I can gather. And so he was, he was one of the first sort of athletic real athletic hookers in the game so that was cool to be living with him and I became really good friends with him still good friends with him keep in touch with him all the time and in terms of the big names that were there there was I suppose Sam Kane is still there he was there when I was there yeah um, I, do know, I did a lot of rehab with him he was coming back from a shoulder injury at the time so I would do one one on one injury rehab with him um, Liam Messam was there uh, Bundy Aki who mm-hmm. a lot of the Irish people yeah. will, will know of course Um. The, the assistant coach was Wayne Smith, the Alex Ferguson of the rugby world. Dave Rennie was the head coach. He's the head coach of, of Australia now. Right. Um, who else was there? I'm probably leaving out loads of names. And, um, oh, uh, Mills Molina. Mills Molina. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. All back legend. Like. Yeah, I can't leave him out. So, so like, when it comes to, you said about doing a bit of rehab with uh, one of the players, but like being, um, I mean, I can only imagine, I mean, like, it can't mind my more in soccer, but like, you know, you hear about soccer players not being the most uh, probably welcoming or or maybe having a bit of an, an well an arrogance about them. But mm. did you think it wasn't the same? It was a much different culture. Like was it or the or was it was it welcoming to new people when you came in as a as a fresh faced um, student? Yeah, on on the whole, extremely welcoming, and I think that's like a New Zealand trait more than anything else. They were all lovely, and uh, I remember I remember specifically saying to one of the 
assistant coaches Andrew Strawbridge that uh, I can't imagine I couldn't imagine ever feeling so at home in another country as they made me feel there oh. like for example they um, so this, we, we had a we had a game one of the games against the Crusaders in in Waikato Stadium and um, it was because it's a big game Chiefs versus the Crusaders um, it was it was free it was free beer for us in the stadium so I was up in like the VIP box and uh, I, they were giving me like free vouchers and stuff like that for free drinks so yeah. I was having a great time drinking away we won the game and then it was straight down to the dressing room and helping clean up and be in the dressing room for like the celebrations and stuff like that which was class and I remember I remember some of the lads like packing things away into other bags and I was like what's going on here this is all a bit things are a bit different but I was a bit I was always a bit tipsy like walking mm-hmm. around the dressing room and then we got back to the clubhouse you always go back to the clubhouse after home games and you have a meal there and a few more drinks and and uh, they give out like sort of um speeches and stuff like that after the games and uh, and then one of the one of the players uh Jamie McIntosh at the time stood up and he was like so we have a bit of a we're going to do a bit of a thing for um one of these uh, members of staff who's here earliest first person here every day and the last person to leave every day uh it's it's Luke our, our strength and conditioning intern so what they did was they were taking all of like the players clothes and like boots and stuff like that and like Aaron Cruden's boots were there um like there was probably Sam Kane's playing jersey stuff like that mm. and they were auctioning it off to everyone in the clubhouse and they raised I think it was two grand and uh, they basically turned around and gave it all to me. No way. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. yeah. So, like, it was just such a nice thing to do. And that was organised by Wayne Smith. Wow. Um, uh, yeah. And, like, for him, who was at the, the peak, who's just won, like, the Rugby World Cup with the women yeah, yeah. Uh, down in New Zealand, for him to take an interest in you when you're at the bottom of the barrel, yeah. like, you're, you're the lowest. Of, of all the people there, you're the lowest. You're, like, the intern yeah. and you're strength and conditioning coach. Um, so for them to do that was just, just the nicest thing ever. And I remember the sports scientist at the time, uh, Brett Smith, he was like to me, you'll, for whatever you do for the rest of your career, you probably will never work in a team like this again. Wow. So as a 19, 20-year-old, yeah. I was like, oh, he's like, this is unbelievable. That's brilliant. Because like, yeah. you hear, you, saw, you mentioned sometimes about <clears throat> Alex Ferguson, and I heard that, um, you know, being a fan myself, that like, he knew everyone's name, like he, you know, the Christmas party, it was all, it was everyone who worked at Old Trafford who would come in. And unfortunately, the years since, different managers have come in, he's very much separated the kind of the, the first team talent from everyone else mm. um but that's that's a great story and then but like give us an idea of what was your what did your to, to earn that obviously earn their respect you come in early what did your what did you actually do in in simple ways or what did you what was your role yeah so you well as, as an snc coach you're doing an awful lot of the crap so you're you're getting you're getting training set up so if they have certain training session that day you're getting all of that training session set up you're you're doing an, you're looking after an awful lot of the kit you're looking after an awful lot of the um, the nutrition side of things as well because you'll be working closely with the sports nutritionist. So you're doing a lot of the dirty work that a lot of people don't want to do. Yeah. Uh, and that's like the less glamorous side of working with a, a big team. But then the, the cool side of it then is you are doing an awful lot of um, injury rehab. So the more lads that were injured, the better it was for me because I was they would give me a program and they would say, take Sam Kane through this, take James Lowe through this. James Lowe was there as well. Take uh, Bundy through James this. Love, uh, the Irish uh, winger, Leinster. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. He yeah, was yeah. there. He was. Uh, he was. Must be a young guy, was it? That's yeah, yeah. He was. I think he was a year older than me, maybe twenty twenty one. So yeah. he was. He that was his first season with the Chiefs as well. Um. So yeah, like doing stuff with him or doing stuff with Bundy. Bundy Aki. He had shoulder surgery as well, so doing a lot of rehab with him. Like, you're you're on the gym floor an awful lot, and then you're up doing a lot of um gym sessions with lads that are injured and then you're doing an awful lot of conditioning work with lads that uh, need to manage their their time on their feet so if they're coming back from an injury right. then and you're trying to bridge the gap between getting them from the injury to back uh, match fitness you, you'd be doing a lot of cardio stuff with them as well and then you'd be going out to the pool you'd be doing pool sessions with a lot of lads um, so it's basically that like all of your think of your personal trainer stuff but with uh, a rehab focus and working with the team basically yeah and then you came back. Obviously, you finished up with your you finished your degree, got that done, and then was it was it straight to London then? Straight to London then. Yeah, uh, straight to Brighton then. Sorry, uh, yeah. I did a bit of strength and conditioning work here in in Tume before I went over there just to bridge the gap because there was a delay between the core starting in Brighton, 
Uh, so that was a few months, and then went over. That was that was a physiotherapy course, isn't it? The course that I did in Brighton. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that was the I did my masters in physio there in Brighton. That was two years, um, and then yeah, just did the two years down in Brighton, and then moved up to London after that, and uh, started working then in the NHS and the likes. And um, so the the thing we you remember when you moved to London, like you, you know. My head, you know, you, you do your course, you get your job, away you go. But for you, it was like you you moved, you did your course, did your master's, got within with the NHS in a good role, but then you were looking for extracurricular work, mm. I suppose. Um, so was it was it London Irish you got in with first, or was it was it Arsenal? That, that came first before Arsenal? Was it yeah, London Irish came first because I was with London Irish as a student. Um, I, I wanted to do a sport placement as a physio student just to right. see what it was like because yeah. I've done everything in the hospitals you have to do hospital placements as a physio so then I wanted to just make sure that or I wanted to see what it was like from a physio point of view I'd already done it as a sports scientist like strength and conditioning coach I wanted to see what I'd be doing as a physio with them so yeah I, I went on to LinkedIn and I emailed every every head of the medical team of all of the uh, premiership clubs in London yep. uh, rugby clubs um, so then one of the one of them wrote back to me, uh, Brian O'Leary, at the head of the medical team at London Irish, still is there. And he said, yeah, we'll take you on for the six weeks. And I was like, nice, this is class. So then did that, and then I stayed on with them. They wanted to keep me on then, which was really nice, uh, working with their academy out in Chiswick. Uh, so every Monday evening, I'd work with them, just pitch side stuff and, and just looking after the young lads that were there. It was all like under 16s and so. Um, so yeah, then I did that, and then I wanted to branch into more things because my whole idea was... At the time it was, well, I'm going to be a physio and I'm going to eventually move back to Ireland, but I'm in London now, so I'm going to have opportunities. I'm going to have exposure here that I'm not going to have back in Ireland. So let's yeah. get up, let's beef up the CV so that I'm set up when I go back to Ireland. Yeah, yeah. So then, um, just by chance, one of my best friends that I was living with, Paul Sweeney, how are you, Sweeney? Mm-hmm. He was working with somebody in Guy's Hospital in London who said that Arsenal are looking for some part-time physios. Yeah. And he was like, Grant, I'll, I'll help you out there. And then he told me. So then I went over to um, meet the went over to Colney, where Arsenal first team train. After I contacted them and sent in my CV and and uh, went in there had a chat, um, and they were like, "Yeah, cool, we'll happily take you on." So then I ended up working part time for Arsenal Academy as well, covering like under fourteens, under twelves, under tens, under eights, under sixteens. Um, so I did that from 20... I'd say that was 2018 as well. Maybe 2018 up until 2021. Or 2019 up until 2021. And how um, did... Um, from from the your experience of rugby and, and comparison to football, what was the... Was there major differences between the two oh, sports? Massive. Yeah. From a physio point of view, massive. Wow. Phys, physio as a rugby coach is like a war zone. It is like being in... It is like you're in the middle of mayhem and anything could happen because you, you could have broken necks, you could have broken yeah. legs... You could have your you know there is a real risk to 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 somebody's life mm-hmm. on a rugby pitch if mm-hmm. something goes wrong, so you're you are stressed and you're always tuned in and it's a higher intensity, football pitch nothing, nothing might happen for loads of games so you're sitting there and you're doing nothing yeah. uh, a lot of the time, and that just comes with the nature of the game um so there's that side of things the physio demands are very different between both jobs, one is very stressful one isn't as stressful be it the rugby or the football isn't as stressful. Then the other, the flip side of that is the personalities that are involved. So what you'd find is the rugby lads, say an under 16 year old dislocates his shoulder. He's trying to play on with a dislocated shoulder and I'm pulling him off. If a rugby lad under 16 gets knocked, he's on the ground and he wants to come off, but you're telling him to stay on. <laughs> so there's a very different mindset yeah, there between yeah. young lads of the same age. Mm. And that's a, probably a cultural thing. It's probably reflective of the attitudes of their stars that they look up to. In terms of like the dogged sort of rugby player, and mm-hmm. then the football player that's uh, maybe not as um, raw, I suppose. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you'd see an awful lot of differences in terms of the personalities and in terms of the demands of the job for sure. And um, when you were at Arsenal, not 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 trying to like, ask for name drops or anything like that, but mm. was there any like a well known person you got to got to meet there, or, or did, any, did any of that come about, or was it strictly academy? Yeah, uh, I suppose the biggest name was, uh, well, well. so I suppose that the what happened was we went in, so when, once we got the job, we were like, they, they were like to us, okay, we want all of our physios to meet everyone. We want a full, we want like a family day where all of the families and all of the players come into Arsenal in Hayland, East London, yeah. and we want to have a big day where we have like food, barbecue, everyone meets each other, 
have an orientation, a few lectures from some big names on, um, on what our philosophy is at the, at the academy and what we expect from everyone at the academy. Um, so we rocked up to Hayland and uh, myself and Sweeney and we didn't have any kit obviously so we were the only people there without any kit because we were the new people so we were there backpacks on jeans on and we walked in and we were like two spare tires at the reception in Hayland and uh, we were trying to figure out like who who to talk to and who to meet to find out what to do and before we had an opportunity to do that somebody came over to us tapped us on the shoulder stuck out the hand hand like a shovel and was like uh, hi guys um Hi guys, I'm I'm Par, uh, Mert Sacker. Yeah. How, how are you getting on? And what the are you director doing of football is near there. So he's already head of academy. He was head of he was head of the academy that year. Right, sorry, it's Edu. I think he was director of football. Sorry, well, was it? Yeah. yeah apologies. Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So, so yeah, he was head of the academy. Whatever year that was, 2018, yeah. 2019. So straight away, I was like looking up at him because he's a giant. He is big, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, he's a tall fella, and I straight away I was like, wow, like whatever lecture he gives on the philosophy of the club and the academy. He's, his behavior reflects his 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 philosophy. Right. Yeah. Because he's straight away he's come over to two nobodies mm. in their jeans, looking lost, and he's he hasn't left it up to anyone else. He had somebody else could have done that, like a receptionist, security, or whoever. But he did it. He came over to shake our hands, to introduce himself, and to find out how he could help us. Right. And like straight away he's 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 laid down the what the philosophy is there straight away, and he expects that then from you as well. So that was that was the biggest name. I I wouldn't have met Arteta. Arteta would have walked by him, uh, but hadn't wasn't talking to him anything like that. Uh, I don't think there was any big names really. Saka was promoted from the academy the year I got there. Um, oh, sorry, there was the I suppose the biggest name that I would have dealt with. Um, I'm going to butcher his name, but he uh, he was under fourteens when I was there. We went on a tour to Holland, and we were working. Um, I was just working with the for with them for this under fourteens tournament over there. And there was one player that stood out. He was unbelievable as a 14-year-old. He was so, so good. And uh, then he ended up getting his first cap for Arsenal this year as the youngest ever Ar- uh, Premier League. Yeah, Ethan Inwari. So he was the, I think he's the youngest ever Premier League footballer Go- given his cap that he got this season. Google says, uh, youngest player in Premier League history, September 22, 15-year-old. Mm. Oh, I remember this guy. Yeah, I came on against Brent. That is absolutely ridiculous. Like, 15-year-old mm. playing... And so he was involved in the um, the academy side of things. This is in 20... It's probably 20... Uh, this would have been 2019. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah 2019. Yeah. So maybe he was... He could have been 12, 13. Jeez, right. But he was... But you he, spotted it straight. You knew... I mean, you could see, obviously, their skills were... Yeah, as in, like, they're all class. That's the thing. Like, when you're reflecting on yourself playing for Atlanta Celtic <laughs> and how bad the standard is. And then you expect these lads at the same age as you were to be yeah. the same as you. But they are... Ridiculous. They are light years ahead. So then this lad... This lad starts kicking the ball around, and I was like, "This lad is absolutely unbelievable." And then I started chatting to him, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I'm sponsored by, sponsored by Nike." And I was like, "Jesus, wow. like you're you're twelve or thirteen? Wow. How are you sponsored by? I think it was Nike, right? That's one yeah. of them." Um, so he was the he was the hot shot then, and he stood out a mile, and he was very not not just as a footballer, but his his maturity and his leadership skills and everything. He was just miles ahead of everyone. He was just so cool, calm, collected. Didn't wasn't phased by anything. Um, very athletic and just a just a good lad and it's really nice to see him do well so you're playing the the Per Mertesacker kind of philosophy and all that big time yeah um so kind of then skipping back to your 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 day job at the time um you're working in NHS not to depress anyone like or yourself either but like tell us a bit about like the Covid era in the NHS and what was Mm. what was your job and what did you actually end up doing yeah, so my normal job was musculoskeletal physio. So I was working in like an outpatient with your... When you think of physio, I was doing that sort of a job, like back pain, knee pain, ankle injuries, all that type of thing. So then as soon as COVID hit, whatever it was, 2020, we were like, within a couple of days, it was like, okay, you're all finished here. This place is going to be basically put on uh, pause, your outpatient jobs, and we're going to redeploy you to where the biggest demand is, which is ICU and places like that. So this was in Barts, East London, um, uh, 2020, yeah, so I think it was on f- March, yeah, it was March, so we were, de- I was redeployed to, uh, it was like a COVID step-down unit, so if they were on ICU, they were then stepped down to my ward, right. um, so a lot of it was uh, rehabbing of young people, old people that were um, recovering from COVID, uh, and I did that for, I did that for basically all of 20, 
twenty, I think it was. Yeah, all of twenty twenty. More or less anyway. Yeah. And um until August twenty 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 and then I came back. Our normal jobs then opened up. But it our our whole job was changed because it was no face to face stuff, it was all virtual physio then. So, <clears throat> so that now you've obviously your your Instagram page is is is, is um Luke underscore Irish underscore physio there off the top of my head. There you go, dead right. And then um that's guy that's going great guns, like four and a half thousand um followers I think last time I checked and your videos seem to be getting, you know, great traction. I think one one was it was uh like six twenty six thousand uh views talking about the cause of pain. So what was the what was the idea of kind of sharing your kind of experiences on social media? Was that more to share information or to um or to gain information or or what was the thinking behind it really or I was always on social media as a physio student. Right. Well actually it goes back further, it goes back to sports science. I was always keen to follow the researchers because they're always very they're always very open to sharing their views on things as yeah. strength and conditioning coaches and sports scientists. So I started following big names uh, in like resistance training world and researchers and stuff like Brad Schoenfeld and the likes. And then from that, I was like, well, there must be the physio equivalent to this. So I started following physios then on Twitter. Yep. This is talk, you're talking 2016. And then I started to engage with a lot of physios there. And, um, and then from that, I, when I qualified, then I said, well, I could start putting out more useful information to people in the same way that people helped me when I was younger. Yep. When I was like, studying as a student, as a sports scientist and that. So for so the way I view it now is, uh, I want to put out evidence based information that's useful for the general population and everyone, and also to drown out all the rubbish because that's my main thing is like that's why I do the myth busting stuff because Does, do you think that has any link to your experience as a teenager with kind of uh, bad experiences or is that do you, do you see any link between that or am I thinking too much into it Oh no that's the, that is the link yeah, yeah that is yeah. the link and and I I'd, I'd happily happily admit to that that's that's my main motivation is that like young people that are getting screwed over by people that are charging them a lot of money yeah. and doing stuff to them yeah. that doesn't have a large scientific base to justify doing it. So for me, I wanted to, I want to give out the good evidence-based information that um, is actually going to be helpful for people and steer them away from the pseudoscience if I can. And um, you, you mentioned about your, your myth busting. Is it called, called myth busting Monday? Or myth bust Mondays, yeah. I've only just started really. Yeah. I've only got four or five in. And I, I like the. Um, you're, you're quite hot on the moment of, of hip flexors and, and, and that, the one I watched there this week on that. Um, what would, to talk a bit more about, like, you talked about the pseudoscience and, and kind of like, let's call it fake news. Why do you think, why do you think people. Uh, or that is out there. Like, for example, we're not going to name names or brand names, but for example, there's a very well-known like foam roller mm. that <laughs> is, uh, is, is, is basically a foam roller on, on, a, on a plastic bracket and it's like a, a X value. Yeah. Why do you think, is it like snake oil salesman? Is it like easy wins for people? Or is it basically taking advantage of people who don't know any better because they're not, they're not a physiotherapist? So how would they know? What do you think is there... Why to get to the question? Sorry, is why do you think there's so much fake news in that realm? I, do, I to be honest with you, I do, I don't really know because it's so complicated, and um, it de- it definitely comes back to it comes back to multiple things. Like I think as physios, we we don't really have a firm identity in terms of what we do because. If you, if you walk down the road here and you ask anyone, what does a physio do? They'll, they'll probably say massage, hands-on therapy and stuff like that. But that doesn't cut it in terms of a treatment for pain. So people still, the, the amount of chronic back pain in the world is growing rapidly. Right. And, and that's the leading cause of people being off work is back pain okay. across the world. So massage doesn't cut it. So then we're left as physios well, thinking, well, what else do we have that we can offer people to try and help them out? So then you'll start having dry needling, acupuncture, cupping yeah. taping uh, a foam rolling so it's it's basically just jumping on a bandwagon of will this be the next thing that helps everyone and then some people buy into that belief that well my a few of my patients have recovered from doing dry needling or acupuncture therefore it must be useful for everyone so then people start to promote it more and more yeah. and they can make a nice living from yeah. doing dry needling so there's there's loads of different modalities that we put out there that don't have very good evidence to back them up but are, I think are put out there with good intentions initially because we're trying to battle pain and pain is so complicated and it's so hard to fix. Yeah. 
So I think a lot of the motivation comes from a good place initially, but then you've got big brands that jump on the foam rolling bandwagon and they promote, like if you go on certain websites, the foam rolling websites, they'll say, make you more athletic, mm-hmm. make you more, um, make you more athletic, improve your mobility, your posture, your health by doing a 20 minute flopping around on a fucking bit of pipe on the ground. Yeah. It's, it's just, that's, that's my issue is that we're selling false hope to people. The narrative is complete rubbish, pseudoscience and they're making millions off of nonsense. Yeah. So, um, we're being fooled into it and people buy into it because we, and I think we buy into it because we believe well, it must be useful if such and such athlete promotes it, such and such celebrity promotes it. So then our beliefs drive and drive the benefit of a lot of the outcomes that we get when we do foam rolling. Yep. So it might calm the pain down a small bit, but that's an awful lot of placebo effect and your belief in it helping you is more likely to help than the foam roller itself. So there's multiple different things that feed into it. Why, why are we so gullible? I don't really know. I think people with pain are, are suffering an awful lot yep. and they're looking for anything that will take the pain away. Yep. And I think a lot of people will prey on the vulnerability of people that are in pain to sell something um, as well, which, I, is, which is really dark but I think it's I do think that's part of it as well it, it, very dark very deep as well I suppose and things like that though I mean I suppose society in general in any application or any any realm or walk of life they want they want an easy answer to like a complex problem and um, so having having something like that like saying oh yeah if you flop around a foam roller it'll, it'll do x y or z mm. you know as you said if someone's in pain they're in pain they want they want help um, but uh and I'm sh- I'm sure there's there's no yes or no, and I'm sure you're gonna give us a, a detailed answer, but I want to know, are foam rollers, as Owen Dibley would say, waste time? <laughs> uh, are they a complete waste of time? I'd say no. The reason I'd say no now is because, let's say you're in pain, and let's say uh, two years ago you had back pain and you went to the physio and you got an elbow into your back and you got up and you felt great after it, you could buy the foam roller, and use that as the alternative to somebody putting an elbow into your back. Yeah. The benefit being that you're not spending 60 euros to see the physio. You mm-hmm. might spend 10 euros on the foam roller. That's me looking for positives or benefits to, to getting it. Is it going to improve your flexibility? No. Is it going to improve your mobility? No. Is it going to improve your health? No. Is it going to improve your pain long-term? No. Will it give you a short-term change in how that pain area feels? Yes, potentially. Yeah. So if that's a good enough reason for you to spend the five or a tenner on it, and by all means go for it but I'd be um, I'd be hesitant to promote it any more than that so long story short a, a, a dog cheap foam roller they can buy anywhere does the same job as a very highly priced um, elbow into the ass so going back to your Instagram videos um, you know brilliant that like you're you're consistent and you're getting good views but not to be too negative do you get any kind of well, let's put it this way, hate or any of that or any negatives or is it all is it all been received quite well? Yeah, no, you would get hate, yeah. Particularly on Twitter, not so much on Instagram. You get the odd person on Instagram, but I, I think it comes with the territory. Like if I'm, if I'm mm. trying to put out evidence-based information that's entertaining and trying to be lighthearted and funny at the same time, yep. you're going to get people that'll take offence to it and I understand that. Like if, if, I'm, a, if I'm a 50-year-old physio mm. and I've done dry needling every day for the last... 30 years 20 years and I've done massage and stuff like that to help people out and then you've got me a young person coming around telling people that it's a load of rubbish do you know part of their treatments their part of their identity and their income and their livelihood is in the treatments that they provide exactly so why so they're going to take offense to it and they're going to they're going to come at me with a bit of venom at times because they're unhappy about me taking the mick out of them um, and, I, and I, I'm absolutely okay with that I don't really don't mind um, I think that comes with the territory and I think open dialogue with people that have different opinions then you is important when you're trying to change opinions and beliefs about things so yeah you would get hit it, it, twitter is different because it's just twitter cesspool, is just isn't it? cesspool of and it, it's not the general public it's the general public are fantastic on instagram they're brilliant because they'll ask questions they'll inquire they'll they're, they're really really forthcoming with questions and they're very appreciative of of good information and that's why i love instagram because people are nice on it yeah. and it's a, there's a lovely mix where on in, or Twitter is just poison because it's all clinicians trying to get one up on each other from my point of view like right. as, as a physio on Twitter yeah. it's just clinicians with massive egos that want to call each other out and nitpick over tiny little things and 
that's why I've stepped back from it because I'm just like just I don't not gain anything from this. I'm not interested. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not gaining anything just by uh, discussing stuff pedantic stuff with other clinicians. I want to put out stuff that's of value to other people. And me bickering with somebody on Twitter yeah. for a long time isn't of any use to anyone. Yeah. So you just be again referring back to your your injuries as a teenager. Like you'll just you'll be, you'll have ten physios all disagreeing with each other, giving different opinions and stuff. So oh, yeah. that's not really of of any value. Um. So then. Talking about the um your social media or Instagram in particular, that's one you're you're promoting and and, and the one that's going great for you. Um, have you got any goal with it, or you just see how it goes, or have you any? Are you just taking it as it comes? No goal, no no goal. I suppose uh, like part of my income comes from in- Instagram. In that, if somebody if I put up a post on knee pain, or whatever, and then somebody thinks, okay, that post was useful for me, I wouldn't mind booking an appointment with him. That's where I benefit. Okay. Because yeah. I, I can put out evidence-based information and I can then use it as uh, marketing as well. Yeah, Instead really. of having to like advertise in your local uh, physio clinic where yeah. you put up a poster, I can advertise myself on Instagram. Brilliant. So I, yeah. can, I, can do, I can do a mixture of everything then. I can put out nice information that's a bit of a laugh and, and useful. And then I also get the odd person that will message me and say, can I book in an appointment with you? So I'm going to keep putting it out for as long as I can. Uh, it'd be nice to grow the, the Instagram page because it feels like then I'm doing my part for society by putting out better information as opposed to pseudoscience yeah. that's out there. And I think if I can put it out, grow the numbers on Instagram, then I'm, I'm slowly drowning out the people that might not be putting out uh, useful information that might just be a lot of snake oil salesmen <laughs> as well. So yeah, no real goal overall, I suppose. Just just keep putting out good information. Good stuff. And then uh, skipping on to your, your current situation, you're in you halfway through second year medicine? Halfway through second year medicine. Second of four years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um so obviously what what uh what was the trigger to go from physiotherapy, working away in London, you talked about, you know, moving back to Ireland at so at a certain point, but what was the obviously your father was a was a was a local GP and a great man. What was there any trigger or reasoning or what or was it always because you never really so far you never really said uh, you know you become a sports scientist to do physiotherapy. Mm. Where where did the medicine kind of fit in? I know yeah I, a lot of people ask me that right on on Instagram why medicine um, when you looked like you had a good setup in London like with Arsenal and NHS, but I think for me I when I when I was thirteen fourteen and I wanted to be a physio, what I actually wanted to be was working in healthcare. Right. And physio was the only sort of avenue that appealed to me at the time because I, I liked the activity side to it and being on, out doing exercise and rehabbing people. But then when I got into the job and I started doing it, um, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't demanding enough. It wasn't, I didn't feel like I was being challenged enough as a physio. And then when I was redeployed, uh, or not, not when I was redeployed, but a bit before that, and I was working on the wards um, for a period of time with some other um, with some doctors and stuff like that, I found, like I, I found I had more interest in what the doctors were discussing in terms of the problem solving with the diagnostic side of things. Yeah. The way they were trying to figure out who had what and the, the tests that they would do to figure out the diagnosis and then come up with a treatment plan based on that. Um, I, was, I was getting less of that in physio and I liked that detective work that comes with working in medicine. Yeah. So I started to fret with the idea then after I graduated um, because I liked the, as I was saying, the diagnostic side of things. But I was unconfident in my ability to be a doc. I was like, I'm not smart enough for the job. And then the more I spent on the hospital wards, I realized actually this is, being a doctor has less, of, less to do with your academic ability and more to do with your emotional and social um, skills, I suppose, more than anything else. Yeah. I realized it wasn't, you didn't need to be the brain box. You didn't need to be the brightest person in the room, which is, I think, a very, um, another myth that people have regarding docs. You really don't need to be that, that smart. You need to be driven. You need to be hardworking. You, you need to be able to build a rapport and communicate with people. And I felt like I was able to do that. So I said, well, if, at least if I give it a go, let's, let's do the entry exam. Let's see how I get on. And if I don't like it, I'll happily be a physio. But if I get to the age of 70 and I've never tried it, I'd be kicking myself. Right, so I yeah, said, why yeah. not just give it a crack now yeah. and see how I get on? And I'm loving it. I'm delighted I made the decision so far. Brilliant. So, um, oh, great, Luke. I think um, great talking to you today. You've covered a lot of, a lot of different topics. Um, final word to yourself, really. Uh, not much to add. I probably left out a few interesting stories from New Zealand. Oh, go on, yeah. Let's um, let's, let's go back. Uh, back ten years. Uh, <laughs> well, I'd say one that if if there are Irish people listening, the one that they might like is, I when we were, it must have been about 
I'd say March or April when the Chiefs went and did their South Africa tour. Okay. So you do your you every whatever season you go and do you play your South Africa teams and the likes when they were in the Super Rugby, um, and I stayed back with the rest of the squad in uh, in Hamilton, New Zealand, and one of the one of the players that stayed back was Bundy Bundy Aki, and uh, during the day we used to go to the team room where there was like dartboard and and play a bit of pool and stuff like that. So um, myself and Bundy like we'd have a game of pool, and I was like, yeah, sure, go on, we'll have a game. Um, so we're in there playing pool, and he was like, "Where are you from in Ireland?" And I was like, "Um, uh, from Galway." And he was like, oh, "That's in Connacht, isn't it?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it's Connacht." And I was a bit oh, straight away. I was like, "Why is this fellow asking me about Galway?" Yeah, in Connacht. I was like, "This is a bit, this is a bit strange." Um, and he was like, "So what? What's it like there?" And I was like, "Yeah, good spot, nice food, good nightlife, good crack. Weather's bad, pretty cold, pretty wet." And uh, and he was like, okay, that's, uh, what are the people like? And I was like, yeah, yeah, really good people, like lovely people. And uh, and then all, then that was it. Didn't, mm. didn't say anything. And then I think it was a month later he had signed for Connacht. No, yeah. So I, he, that's the reason he's winning games for Ireland. Purely down to that game of pool. You big game of pool. I think you I think you told me before you told him what the price of Dove Vodka Red Bull was in Club K as well. That kind of yes, that's true. It was five euro at the time. <laughs> Five euro double vodka Red Bull in Club K, so that's probably what drew, drew him over. Yeah, you know, the price of the cost of living obviously has kind of put pay to that. Um, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. I mean, like that's that's some experience. Like the idea, I think of um, you know living with an all black and playing pool with Bundyaki. You know, it's 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 an amazing amazing experience to have, and great great that you've shared it and telling more people about it. Um, but yeah, just to I suppose to wrap up, um, just last last words yourself. Anything. Feel free to, to tell us another story if you have one. No, I, I'd say that's all my stories now. Uh, thanks for having me on the General Spec podcast. It's been great to be here. Get get thanks. get get following. Thanks, Luke. Get following uh, this what the podcast. is a General Spec on Spotify. Uh, Luke on Instagram. Let's get into uh, to to uh, to five k. Five k by yeah, five k by the new year. By the new year, this podcast <laughs> may not be out by the new year. Twenty twenty four. Twenty twenty four.